Good morning. All right. If you have a Bible, please open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. First and foremost, let me just say it is such a privilege and a joy uh, to be with you all this Lord's Day. It is such a privilege to be able to open God's Word to you. I had a wonderful time at the men's conference. You are some ridiculously encouraging people. I, I don't even know that you need to hear the message I'm about to preach. My theology suggests that you do somehow. So I commend it to the Lord. But uh, what, what an encouragement it's been for me uh, to be in your midst the past few days. And I have, I've been encouraged. I've been refreshed. I've been spurred. I've been sharpened. I've been blessed by being here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's go ahead and uh, ask the Lord, <laughs> excuse me, for his blessing. Oh, Lord, you love this church. That's why we appeal that you would bless abundantly. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be helpful. Pray, Lord, that you would help us all to receive the word with humility, the word that's able to save our souls. Pray, Lord, that you would grow us all into greater Christ-likeness, that you would fashion this church even further into greater perfection. We give you thanks, Lord. I thank you for the many gifts you've given here and the way those gifts are operating here and the way that this body is desirous to build itself up in love. Would you help this time to forward that aim? And to do that, Lord, we ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen? Y'all can be a little bit louder than that. It is okay with me. Feel free to talk back, not argue. Don't argue with me, please. But you can email Jared at... <laughs> Uh, we're going to do something, title of the message is, And the Fellowship. That is going to be my text to reflect on this morning, those three words. Um, I do appreciate context, just in case you're getting concerned. Uh, so what I would like to do is I would like to read just a familiar portion of Scripture, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, um, just to kind of get a feel for some of the flavor surrounding this church in God's word. And then we are, we are going to zoom in on the and the fellowship part. Please hear God's word and be confident. Best part of the sermon right here. <clears throat> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as 
any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Saints, this is God's word, and we are thankful for God's word this morning, and we do pray that the Lord blesses the hearing of his word and our meditation on it. I have a couple points. Just even in reading that, we could zoom in on each one of those. You could do a whole sermon series on being devoted to the apostles' teaching. I encourage you to. It would be edifying. You could do that on the breaking of bread, on the prayers. You could do that on awe. You could do that on the role of the apostles. You could do that on generosity and on sharing and on going to church together and worship and on people getting saved and being added to the number, church membership, amen. So I'm going in the freedom I have in Christ, I'm I'm gonna pick one of those and reflect on this morning and that is the fellowship. The fellowship and the fellowship. It's a means of grace. Something God has ordained is not only beneficial to us, but a powerful component of our witness in the world. And it's something I would love to reflect on this morning. To do that, I have two points. Uh, One is the church's faithful fellowship, a church's faithful fellowship that's reflecting on this church that we're looking at. And then two, we want to think about the church's foundation for fellowship, the church's foundation for fellowship, and that is why do we see what we see here? So first, let's think on a church's faithful fellowship. Again, just to anchor us in context a little bit more, it is important for us to understand that this is a snapshot of a Christian community. Uh, The verse begins with, this is verse 42, the verse begins with, and they devoted themselves, right? There is a they. There is this they is the same they that if you look up a couple verses previous, even if you don't have time to read it in depth, if you just kind of survey quickly, this is at the end of Peter's sermon where he has called people to repent of their sins and believe, and this they is the same they that repented of their sins were baptized, and were added to the saints. And this account is Luke's way of freezing for us what it was like. By God's grace, we have live, well, not live, but we have a recording of, we have early footage of the first church that has been written down and preserved for our edification. This is what happened This is what it was like. And even when I read that verse, you probably felt what I feel when I think about this section of Scripture, and that is you sense the beauty of it. You see how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity as they worship the Lord, that there the Lord has commanded a blessing, even life forevermore. And that's what's happening with this church. We get to look at this little picture frame in the Bible of this early church, so we might admire and even, I think, find things to imitate. One of the things we first see is what happens when they meet the family. I mean, that's just an interesting category of social dynamics, right? What happens when someone meets the family? Many romantic comedies 
have been written surrounding the normal awkwardness of meeting the family of the person you love. I'm sure there are many stories in here. Maybe some of them are sad. Maybe some of them are heavy. But I'm sure that quite a few of them are humorous. Hollywood loves the humorous ones. Entire franchises have been established on those moments. Guess who's coming to dinner? Younger people probably don't know that one, but it is. That was to you, my, my elder saints. But regardless of, you, you've seen it. You've seen the same version. It's the same story. It's the same packaging done to different degrees of good. The story goes, the boy meets girl, and after a period of time, they come to pledge their love for each other. Usually it's really quickly, but they know that in order for this relationship to really, really work, you got to meet the parents, you got to meet the family. They know that they can't just love each other. They have to actually love each other's families, and they want their families to approve of the ones they love. And they're often comedies because it very rarely goes well. Either the family doesn't like them or they don't like the family. Well, saints, that kind of confusion, that lack of affection doesn't ever apply to a Christian in a local church. There's no question about what happens when they meet the family. The same thing is supposed to happen in every family for every believer that joins that family. God ensures that he gives us all we need to love him rightly. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new affections. He gives us his spirit to lead us in the right direction, which is a new direction for us all, right? When God makes a Christian, he ensures that every Christian loves the family and that the family loves every Christian. It's what marks Christian community. And that was one of the big points of the Apostle John's letter, right? In 1 John 3, 14, he said, we know that we have passed out of death into life, and we would expect him to make some kind of statement about justification by faith alone. How do we know that we've passed from death to life? Well, because we believe that Christ came and died and that he was raised on the third day, which you must believe to know that you passed from death to life. However, that's not what the Apostle John says. He says, we know that we have passed out of death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And this is what salvation coming to a soul looks like. We're not authorized to proclaim that people are in the kingdom of God who do not walk affectionately accountable to a Christian church when it's available. It's actually completely inappropriate and unhelpful to people's souls for us to have a conversation with someone about the gospel They momentarily respond favorably, and then us give them an assurance of salvation when there is no demonstrated affection for or accountability to the church, to the people of God. That's just not how salvation normally looked in the Bible. It actually normally looked like people getting saved into a family, into a church. New life was made obvious in a new community. The salvation appeal isn't, go, follow Jesus on your own. No, it's, come, follow Jesus with us. And Jesus told the disciples as he was readying them for his departure, 
that this was a main passport that they were supposed to be checking for. You recall in John chapter 13, on his way away from them, after they've had the Lord's Supper, as he's eyeing the cross, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So yes, it matters what someone professes, and it matters what they practice, how they live. And one of the ways we're supposed to know, hey, they know the God of heaven, is by how we watch them get it in with his bride. Get it in with his bride means how they interact with the church. We see that in Jesus' mind, right, in those very words of John 13, a convincing proof of our Christianity is how we live among the Christian community. The compelling draw of our gospel invitations are viewed or is viewed in connection with our Christian love for the people of God. I know you know these things. I trust you know these things. I'm just referencing them as a backdrop for the text. And it's because that's true, which is why we really shouldn't be surprised by what we see in Acts 2. Sometimes people read Acts 2 as if it's this thing they've never experienced. And there's certainly things in there I've never experienced, particularly the signs and the wonders part. Just me. I've never experienced that part. But when you read the bulk of it, you don't get a sense that you're watching something you've never been a part of, do you? You you read this and you're like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what happened to me. When we think about what God does when he saves people, we are not surprised by Acts 2. It's no surprise that this community of people who have been saved by the same gospel were now living like they were the same body. We're told in Acts 2, 46, that it was their daily practice to worship the Lord together. Commentator F.F. Bruce writes that the conviction of sin that followed Peter's preaching earlier in chapter 2 was no momentary panic, but filled the people with a long-lasting sense of awe. We see that described even in verse 43. Similarly, their commitment to follow Jesus wasn't a spur-of-the-moment response. It wasn't owed to any emotional pressure. That commitment shaped the rest of their daily lives both immediately and observably, because God had done a true, converting, transforming work of grace in their lives. They were a new people, and they were now identified with new activities. Don't misunderstand, this isn't a perfect church here in Acts 2. We shouldn't look at it like, man, that was the glory days. There is much sin in this church. In a couple of chapters, a couple will die because of their sin. This is not the the church of all churches. No, 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 there's much error in this church. There's much growth needed for this church. But here we do find a beautiful picture of Christian community that's framed for us to look at and to imitate, I believe. This passage is not prescriptive. 
So this is not filled with do's. It's descriptive. This is something we just get to look at and watch. There isn't a list of commands about Christianity here, but rather a description of what faithful Christianity lived out is. So though the text contains a church with an imperfect picture of total faithfulness, it still is a snapshot of true faithfulness, even at the foundations of the church. This is why we look at this text and we understand it to contain a, a paradigm for us to imitate where we can imitate it. Again, we cannot imitate everything in this passage. We cannot do the signs and wonders at will. This is not recommending you to leave and go sell everything that you own, put it in the offering plate, and then go ask Pastor Rob if you can live with him. That's, that's not <laughs> Amen. Uh, <clears throat> no, this here in Acts is <clears throat> not prescribing a way that is commanded by God, but it is describing a way that is commended by God. And this is how this is presented in Acts 2. Jesus is resurrected. And right before he ascends, he says, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be my witnesses everywhere. And he sends the Holy Spirit, fills all the disciples who were waiting. And then Peter gets up and gets to preach in that gospel. And on that very rock, on that very moment, on that very proclamation, Jesus builds his church. And he does it quickly. He does it abundantly. And Acts 2 is the picture of the harvest, right? The, the gospel drew in a bunch of people, and then it shaped them into a glorious community. And this is who the church reflexively became in response to repenting of sin and believing in the Lord Jesus and being baptized and being with Christians. This is just what happened. This is what it looked like for a group of souls to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter preached, this, Peter preached the same gospel we preach today, right? He held out the same hope that we hold out. It was the same salvation that we hold out. Listen to him. It says in Acts 2.38, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received the word were baptized and added to their number baptized, added, and then they just get to living like Christians. They were added to this community, numbered among the believing ones. And Luke is writing it all down. And then he gives us this descriptive. This is a section of Scripture that many people refer to as a section containing the means of grace. It's better to call it some means of grace because there's a lot of means of grace. We use that definitive article might trip you up in the future. But this is some means of grace. These are things that the saints do so that they might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, so they might enjoy the gospel even more, so that they might better promote the salvation that is in Christ. And what we find here is that there was a devotion. They used to be devoted to the devil, and when they came to met Jesus, they were subdued and devoted to new activities. And among this list of activities is this fellowship. Now, just something to note in verse 42, devoted applies to each of those categories. It's not they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and then they fellowship. 
No, it's they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the prayers. It's an action connected with and applied to each of those categories. It's a commitment that was carrying forward, a continued focus and intensity. A couple translations have it that they continue steadfastly. They endured in this. They persevered in this. They constantly gave themselves to this. And, and we get the, the preaching the word. We get the breaking of bread, which I personally think is the Lord's Supper. We get the prayers. I do want to just focus on the fellowship part because it's a Christian thing to be constantly, steadfastly, devotedly in fellowship. I trust you know this, not trying to be new, just trying to say stuff that's true. Fellowship. Fellowship is communion, not like the bread and the wine or juice. It's being together in a deep way. Fellowship is communion. It's what we share in common. It's the enjoyment an expression of our shared experience and participation in Christ. It's not chips, dip, and a movie. That's not fellowship. That's fun. Fellowship is when we experience and share what is ours in Christ. It's because two Christians are standing together. That does not make them fellowshipping, right? So chips, dip, just fun. Chips dips while you're reflecting on Christ. Fellowship. <laughs> it's important to remember, in case we look at this and like, man, this was a crazy weekend. Some people read this uh, section of Scripture like it was a conference, right? Like Peter preached, 3,000 people showed up, and that week it was just intense. And then Luke was like, man, that's crazy. Let me write this and send it and then keep it moving. Do keep in context what's being written here. This is an account of how the gospel went to all the nations, how the Holy Spirit established the church, Acts covers the span of a few decades in church history. What we see play out in the book of Acts wasn't just a year's history, but years. This wasn't just a weekend response. Luke was watching the saints. And it's, you know, some commentaries think that this um, covered, at least in this particular section, from chapter 242 to chapter 6, that it covers about three to five years in the church's history. So as Luke is watching this church and what he writes down about them, this is what marked them just as a body of believers. That's just what they did. I wonder if these descriptives apply to us. Man, I think, and I want to circle the fellowship part. I think most of us got a few R.C. Sproul books, listen to podcasts, listen to sermons. You are clearly here at church on the Lord's Day to hear a sermon. There was a bunch of y'all over the weekend to hear the word preach and to be with the people of God. I, I trust that you are praying to God. I trust that you are faithful to praying to God. I trust that you're devoted to the prayers with the people of God. I trust that when we take the Lord's Supper, you're like, we don't do that. I trust that y'all do do that here that you hold it in high regard. You are a Reformed church, as much as I understand. And part of what the marks of Reform is we care about the ordinances. 
One of the things that's a little slippery, though, particularly in America, is what do people think about fellowship? Uh, this is one way that the pattern of small groups has not served how we relate to the body. No diss to small groups. Small groups do a lot of good. I'm just saying they're not intended to be the all in all of Christian fellowship. And the question is, do we have it in our minds that we are devoted to that? That's what it means to be with the people of God, to be family. In, the, in a way that you're with your family and you start looking suspect if, like, dad's just not there ever. Like, yo, he doesn't feel like he's with us. And you'd be concerned about that. Do we have categories of relationship outside of blood, but it, that is based on blood, that we're devoted, like a devotion, it, a, a recurring committedness to being together and sharing together? My hope in this message is not to give you the do's and the don'ts. I am hoping to maybe inflame a little bit. I do want to fan this aspect of the Christian life that I do think is waning, at least in recent years. Fellowship, fellowship. We need fellowship. We get to fellowship. You might be thinking, man, we're a big church. We can't do that. This church was bigger than this church. We got their membership role. And this was after one members meeting. 3,000 new ones. And yet the descriptive over them was, man, they, they're with each other. They live together. They don't just like being around for things. They're together. You see Luke trying to describe all the different ways that they are. They eating together. They're sharing their stuff together. They're going to church together every day. They're praying together and listening together and just sharing together. While it's striking how it marked them, it's not surprising that it marked them, which brings us to our second point, and that is the, the foundation for fellowship. We see this church that is faithful in fellowship, but we need to understand the foundation of fellowship if we're to be vibrant enjoyers of it. We've always been a part of a fellowship, even before you were in a church. It was the fellowship of the wrath of God. So Ephesians chapter 2 says, while we were each dead in our trespasses and our sins, following the flesh and the desires in which we once walked, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There was a mankind-wide fellowship of wrath that we were a part of. We used to only have a share in death, and our only fellowship was with the world and with the devil. That's what true, that's what's true for everyone who lives in their sin. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you haven't turned from your sin, you haven't turned away from living without God, but you're content to live without him. Well, the Bible says it's actually a fellowship with the devil. That's a, that, that's a church. That's an assembly under the wrath of God. All who fellowship in sin will forever fellowship in judgment under the wrath of God. It's not just fellowship here. It goes forward. 
Right? Not only is there fellowship in sin, but there will be a fellowship in the consequences of sin. So in Revelation 21, 8, we're told, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion, right, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who continue after false gods, who continue in their sin, will share in the condemnation of God's enemies. They will be together under God's wrath, abidingly with all of those who despise him. But you're at a Christian church this morning, and this is a different kind of fellowship. This is the fellowship of used to be under God's wrath, but now we all up under God's mercy. Indeed, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is an invitation to change your fellowship to leave the devil and come to the Lord, to leave your sin and come to salvation, to leave yourself and come to Christ. That's what the God in the gospel were told of Christ and his willingness to have fellowship with us. And he first fellowshiped with us in a way that was inconceivable yet entirely necessary. Christ came and was willing to fellowship with us in our suffering so that we might be freed from it, so that we could be freed up to come and commune with him in glory. We brought the debt, we brought the sin, we brought the sorrow, but Christ came to bear the consequence for us. What was ours became his. In order to be with us, he had to become like us. He had to become a man, and he suffered for us. Only then could we enjoy fellowship with God in peace if there was someone who with us took what's hurting us away from us and brought us to somewhere and someone we could never get to on our own. And that's what Jesus came to do. We, we told that to save us, he came to partake in our experience and to bear our sorrows and our sin. This is why Jesus came to earth, right? He came to dwell among us. He was sharing in the experience. He, he became like us, right? Subject to the same temptation. He, he became a curse for us. The Bible says he became sin. Not that he himself was guilty of sin, but he so identified with his sin, with our sin, that God treated him like it was his. It was the will of the Lord to crush him for it. Jesus suffered the judgment of God in our place. This is the summary Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins. He didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. It's the great reversal, the rescue mission where he would come and fellowship with us in our worst state so that we could fellowship with him in his glorious one. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. God's word says in Hebrews, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He wasn't ashamed to call us family, the text says. He likewise partook of the same things that through death, his death, a death he did not deserve, but through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death 
were subject to lifelong slavery, right? His fellowship brought about our freedom. And deliver us, he did. He tasted death for us all. We couldn't do it. That would kill us forever. He says, I'll do it for you. And then he raised from the dead so that we might share in his newness of life. That's the gospel call. The amazing thing about the gospel is that God is willing to share eternal life with anyone who turns from their sin and comes to his son. I wonder if there's any here today that know they don't have eternal life. They don't have the wealth of God. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about riches in heaven. I'm talking about God himself. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about grace. I'm talking about life and life in abundance. If somebody knows they don't have that because of what you've done, if you want to cross that line, I want to get in on that fellowship. All God says is believe. If you turn from your sin and if you believe, and if you believe now, he'll give it, he'll share it with you now. Right now, you can leave the fellowship of death and come everlastingly to the fellowship of the living ones. That's the highest joy for every saint, right? That our fellowship is with God. That was the beginning of John's letter, 1 John, right? We want you to know our fe- we got a real fellowship with God. It's true fellowship, and we want you to have that fellowship. That now, because of Jesus, we get to share in him. He has qualified all his people for this, right? That's what Colossians says. We give thanks to the the Father. Why? For he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Like we get to share. Now we have a share in Christ. We share in his suffering. We share in his death. We share in his victory. We share in his spiritual blessings. We share in his reign. We share in his Holy Spirit. Oh, beloved, in Revelation, we are those who are said to have a share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in that book. You, we, we, we don't read Revelation like a horror story. Believers don't, because you've read the end of it. That's great. It's a fantastic ending. And he says, and all believers have a share there. They have a place there. Jesus went to leave them. He says, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you there. Listen, we get it all. We get it all. Overflowing grace, uninterrupted peace, unending mercy, fixed security of the eternal covenant, all of which is provided because we have fellowship with God, because God has come so that we can have fellowship with him. As Hebrews says, we have come to share in Christ. And how that happened was the initiative of Jesus bringing to us what we wouldn't have the audacity to think of And yet it is his good pleasure to share what he has with his people. Foundations of fellowship. Now as his people, we get to do the same. We get to share all we have in Jesus with all of those Jesus has shared it with. That's what a church is. A church is people you don't get to pick who are your family. The best kind of family, sometimes a little raggedy, 
We could be a little raggedy. But we're royalty. And we share that together. Us individually who have been shared with by Christ, we then share that with each other. What we share in common isn't anything in our flesh. So the church is not the place we share the stuff that you can share in the world. That stuff doesn't matter. That's not what this is. This is not the assembly of your affinity group. This is the assembly of the firstborn. Our fellowship is not in our hobbies. Our fellowship is not in our political positions. Our fellowship is not in our fleshly family lineage, our ethnicities, or any of our earthly enjoyments. Our fellowship is in Christ. And it's a really, really full fullness. I found out a couple years ago that I have a brother who is 49 years old. And as you might suspect, when we met each other, it was weird. He's lived five decades without me. I've lived almost four without him. And, you know, at the end of the day, us sharing the same DNA just doesn't do that much functionally. When we met, we were strangers, even though we were family. We don't have anything else to partake of other than the fact we share my dad's DNA. But when I meet a Christian who I may share nothing in the flesh, nothing at all, like really nothing, (laughs) and yet, though we share nothing there, we share everything that matters. Not like most of the stuff that matters. We literally share everything that matters. You know what's, what's dope is in Colossians, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Christ. So too is every saint. Are you not pleased to dwell where God dwells? Listen, my dad's DNA cannot keep a family together, but the Holy Spirit can. That's why our familial bond as Christians is so rich, because our Jesus is so full. Oh, to share Christ is to share everything in him. It's it's all his. All we have is Christ. We like to sing it because it's true. We don't like to sing stuff that sounds true. We like to sing stuff that is true. Paul said, listen, we could boast if you want to boast. I have stuff I could boast about. I'm from a really dope family. I'm from a really dope tribe. I had a really dope education. I know the Bible really, really well. He says, but that's rubbish to me. I count it as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He's my all. 
And in the church, we are like, yay and amen, me too. He's my all too. He's your, he's my all. That's what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthian church. They were arguing about their gifts, arguing about who's who and who's coming through and, you know, and who got to be up front and who, you know, all the stuff that we do to fight over. We fight over all kinds of sinful, dumb stuff. Amen? And Paul was like, yo, you're fighting over stuff you all own. You're fighting over stuff you all own. You remember when he told him this? He says, all things are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. They were, talk, they were, they were looking at what they weren't having in one little tiny aspect and they were overlooking that it's all theirs. Listen, that sharing, that partaking is what the saints are to live out. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is us living out what we share. We used to share nothing together, but now we share everything together in how we treat each other, how we live together, how we relate to each other. That actually shows what we think we share. I don't mind inserting myself in any of y'all's business because you're mine and I'm yours. I don't have a right. You'd be like, oh, I'm coming to the house. Can I visit? Now, it's one thing if I'm sleeping, please don't show up then. But my house isn't my house. It's yours. It's yours. My study's not my study. It's yours. I'm yours, and you're mine. Not because we had coffee for six months, but because Christ died and he was raised, and we believe. That's, the, that's what fellowship is. That's, that's why where they were always together. They used to not care about the saints, and now they're the excellent ones. In whom is all that delight and devotion I get to be with the people of God now. You remember when you didn't care about the people of God, when you thought they were weird and they would stay in church way too long and say weird stuff? And we still do that. But you remember when you, you came to see it different. Man, that's a child of God. She's a child of God. He's a child of God. That's my family. You know this, yeah? Fellowship is us showing that. I have a few points of, of application I just want to bring to your attention. Again, these are things y'all probably do in excess, but let me just share them just for the couple people who might be new here. Uh, <laughs> Three things that, that can help us live according to this truth. One is to reframe your family. You got to reframe your family. Fold others into your life in essential ways. 
The Lord Jesus shows us how to do this. You remember Jesus was teaching, he was talking about demons, and his mom and his brother rolled up, and they thought they was going to have play the mom card, right? <laughs> Jesus in the middle of the sermon, and they're like on stage like, <laughs> and he's, you know, teaching that, Psst. he's like, uh, can you tell, tell the Lord his mother and brothers want to speak to him? You remember what Jesus did? Jesus reframed all that. He said, who's my mother and my brothers? Like, and this was in front of his mom's. In his own flesh. He said, who's my mothers and brothers? And he stretched out his hands to his disciples. He said, behold, my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. For everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You believe that? The question is, do the rhythms of our households reveal that? Anybody just creep up on you like, yo, they always over here. Do they live here? You adopt somebody? Like, it should be that confusing. We should be confused, like we should be accused of those great things. It's great to adopt people. Uh, but the, the together, the devotedness, like, man, y'all are always together. Is it because you always, like, y'all must really, like, like each other. Like, no, we just really, we really like Jesus. This is my brother. You ain't met my brother? Jared's closer to me than my brother in the flesh. Always will be unless the Lord saves him. And it's right that our rhythms reflect that. People should be able to look at how we live and see you do family different. You, you have a different category of family. You process family different. It's not just who comes from the loins, right? It's who's following the Lord. Reframe your family. Let your kids be confused by it like, uh, where are your kids though? And it's important to say, hey, who's my children? Don't tell them they're not your kids, but... Don't want you to scar anybody. But it's helpful to add to them and just say, oh, they, they're family too. They're family too. Your kids should be drawing little family pictures and there should just be other faces on there. You'd be like, yo, who's that? <laughs> That's Aunt Sarah. That's, uh, you're like, oh, snap. Reframe your family. Two, share your stuff with God's people. Very abundant, ridiculous, countercultural ways. You go through this little section, they shared the word, they shared prayer, they, sh they shared their spaces, they shared their food, they shared their homes, they shared their money. They sold buildings to help other saints. They shared their time. It was often, it was reoccurring. It was day by day. They, they scheduled regular times to open up their homes or to go to someone else's home for fellowship. As you plan your weeks out, fellowship, fellowship, and do it in a volume that makes you uncomfortable but not burned out. You gotta find that and invite the saints to help you find that. If it's so cool for you, you're probably not doing enough. But if you're, if you're the one who's always in here and it's like you're always falling asleep, so like, oh, we had saints over to five, it's like, Yo, you might should take a break. 
And you need saints to help you think through that. We're not talking about reckless abandon. We are talking about living consistent with truth, though. And you need other saints to help you think that, hey, am I being a little stingy with my, like, am I hard to fellowship with? Do you feel like you can just come to my house? What keeps you from thinking you can just come to my house? Do you, like, do people know they can drop in on you like, like, like your family does? Or do people feel like, especially on holidays, it's like, <laughs> okay, let's go. We got to do our family time now. It's like, no, that's, that's the stuff to press in on. Change the family. God's changed your family. If, if, if you had a, a brother and you had means of helping them and, and your brother did not, you would not keep having your stuff while he had nothing. You would give up your stuff so that his needs could be met. That's what churches do. They're just big families. That's why we do offerings and to try to help think through this. Benevolence funds to try to help think through that. But we see our stuff. It's not our stuff. It's not your stuff. Jesus did not give you that stuff for you to just have that stuff. I remember one pastor, he was talking on money. He says, have you ever considered that if your portion is large, Perhaps the Lord has just given you enough for you and your brother. The rich young ruler is a wonderful example because this guy is walking around super rich, excessively rich. He meets Jesus. Jesus says, give up riches that can't go with you forever, and you come have me who will hold you down forever. And the guy walks away sad. And for me, what sticks out about that all the time is he thought he had a different, he had a better use of his money. When it's like you had no better use of your money. God made you really, really rich so that when you met Jesus and he says, give it up, you'd be like, let me show you how valuable you are. No better use of all the money. That's, he had it for that moment and botched it. Third thing expressly enjoy Christ when you're with other Christians. It should not be awkward for us to be together and someone say, anybody got want to testify about the Lord's goodness? And for saints to be like, I mean, hands to fly up. Hey, hey, tell us what you've been reading in the Word. Just, just edify us. We just need some edification. Hey, tell us what the Lord's done in your life. Tell us about an encounter you've had in evangelism. Hey, y'all, come on over. What you want to do? Let's just pray. And that be exciting. Hey, what y'all doing tonight? We're going to sing some songs. Voices are kind of whack, but God is worthy of it. You want to come? <laughs> Expressly enjoy Christ together when you're with Christians. That's what we're supposed to do. And what happens is it has a pull. It actually builds you up. It builds them up. And it's the thing almost always that unbelievers are most attracted to. When they see the love that we have for one another, they're like, man, y'all know God. I'm landing. I land. I'm landing. <laughs> Okay, so listen. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Y'all get it. Y'all get it, right? We don't only want to have a splash of fellowship. The beauty is 
than being together. And part of being together is being devoted together. You want the saints devoted to you. You want them to know you're devoted to them. We actually want to enjoy our familyness. We look in glory and say, yo, this is going to be a big family reunion. And depending on your background, that might either scare you or excite you. It's going to be a perfect family reunion. We do this for our own and others' benefit and enrichment. We do this for our own witness. We do this for our own enjoyment of Christ. We do this for our brother's help and for their edification. We don't want to just share a little of Jesus with each other. We want to share a whole lot because God didn't just share a little bit of him with us. He shared a whole lot. So as we talk about fellowship, I want you to first think of good brothers and sisters in your church who embody this and imitate their example. Say, show me how to do it. Can I just come in and like sit with you for the next couple months every Sunday? I just want to see how you do it. Can we just come and join you in doing it? We, we, just, we just want to grow. Do that. But then also make sure you, you, you think about what Christ did for you in fellowship. He is the best fellowshipper, and he provides the best fellowship. He shared it all with us. He shared it all. You're like, well, how much I got to share? Just remember, he shared it all. He shared it all. John 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. No secrets from y'all. Just think about that. Jesus told us everything his father told him. The secrets, the mysteries of God's wisdom that is deep and wide and vast and glorious, he shared that with us. He says, oh, what is mine? I shared with you. The riches of wisdom and knowledge, he shared them, not because we asked, but because he loves. He shared it with us. You can go through his life and just take note. Listen, his example, he shared that with us. His righteousness, he shared that with us. His sacrifice for sin, he shared that with us. His father, he shared him with us. His spirit, he shared him with us. His rule and his reign, he shared with us. His kingdom, he shared with us. His body, he shared with us. His character, he shared with us. Peter said, we have been made to be partakers of the divine nature. Why? Because he shared it with us. His joy, he shared with us. His resurrection, he shared with us. His home, he shares with us. His people, he shares with us. His word, his promises, his covenant, he shares with us. And his very self, 
even his own glory, he shares with us. John 17, Jesus said, the glory you have given me, I've given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The love the Father has for the Son. God has shared that with us. And we get to go and do likewise. We don't have stuff that's that dope. None of us do. But whatever we have, we can honor the Lord. We can share in this aspect of his givingness by sharing it with his people. Never has anyone ever lived out more vibrantly, more life-givingly that phrase, what's mine is yours. And that's what shapes the saints. That's what we want to do. That's what we do when we fellowship. We share in Christ together it's through conversation, through singing, through being together, through encouraging, through rebuking, through rejoicing, through weeping, through giving, through praying, through struggling, through pressing, through hope. Fellowship is us experiencing and expressing what we share in Christ. I leave you with that old hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home, where it's an appeal that God's grace would come and affect us. It says, reach down, reach down thy arm of grace and cause me to ascend where congregations ne'er break up and Sabbaths never end. Part of how God reaches down and gives grace is through the grace of fellowship. It's part of how heaven comes to us and grows that anticipation for the unending fellowship that's sure to come. We show that our citizenship is in heaven together, that we together are waiting on a Savior who will transform us to be like him and will transport us to be with him. And we cry, Lord, haste the day when the fellowship will ever flow and the communion will never stop. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, dear Lord, I thank you so much for these saints. I thank you so much for these saints. We thank you so much for our Jesus. You have been abundantly good to us. We cannot fathom, we cannot recount your many kindnesses. We cannot number your many mercies. We cannot calculate with any degree of accuracy just how much you've shared with us in Jesus. Oh Lord, change us by that. Help us to be givers like Christ, sharers like Christ and longing to be with him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.